Uh, welcome to the new normal. And uh, since I saw you last, our world has changed quite radically. And um, the, essentially what's happening is we are in a new, new normal. Uh, world's changed. And there's so many weird things that are happening. Like my hands have aged about three years since the start of the lockdown because like all that you know, stuff, it's chemicals, get it. I look like an old man. I can't be a hand model anymore. Um, and also like you go to the shops and stuff and like you're trying to do social distancing and then you're in a queue and you don't know, like, you don't know where the queue starts because like you don't know where the, the queue ends. You know where it starts. You know where it ends and, and where you should like, is that guy just shopping or is he just standing somewhere? And then sometimes you're standing and then some guy comes close to you and then also sometimes you see people walking around like this and you just judge them, right? You're like the mask has uh, this. This is also the new normal. I actually thought in the long run it would be better just to um, grow my own mask and, uh, and help filter out some of the stuff. So uh, actually, no, I've, I thought lockdown's the time to be doing this. I wanted to do this. Actually, my wife's been begging me to, to grow a moustache for ages now. I'm joking. No, no wife has ever begged their husband to grow a moustache. Um, but anyway, um, the whole point about this is uh, we live in a brand new world and we actually have to figure out how to navigate our new world. And so what we want to speak about is a subject called hope. And really that even though the world is different, we can have hope for our future and hope in this new normal. We want our church and a church community to be filled and buoyed with hope uh, because that's who God is. And so we're going to be digging into the subject a little bit in the next few weeks. Hope's an amazing concept. Obviously, everyone's familiar with it, but it's a very specific concept in terms of the Bible. But I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, I'm actually going to ask the question, what is the favorite or considered the favorite Western movie of all time? You might be surprised, um, but according to IMDb, which is kind of like an online database, all things movie and TV, um, it, it reckons that The Shawshank Redemption, 1995, is the favorite movie of all time. And you ask why. Why is The Shawshank Redemption such an amazing film or so popular? And I really think it, it deals with the subject of hope. Sure, it's got great actors. It's got a great storyline. Um, it's a largely redemptive, positive, uplifting story, uh, but primarily it's a movie about hope, and not just hope, hope that is realized, hope that comes to fulfillment. And while hope is the theme of the movie, uh, there's two scenes where hope is the direct source of conversation. And uh, both of these are between the two main characters. The, the lead role, played by Tim Robbins, uh, is Andy Dufresne, uh, that's the character's name, and his friend, Red, played by Morgan Freeman. And uh, in the first conversation, it's kind of this legendary scene. So Andy Dufresne has started a library in prison, and he's just received a donation of some vinyls and some a record player. And uh, he finds this uh, classical music vinyl with this Italian lady singing in great opera. And uh, the guard goes off to the toilet, and Andy Dufresne locks himself in an office, and plays this music over the prison uh, PA system, and all the prisoners get to hear this incredible music. Obviously, it's not uh, a done thing, so Andy gets punished, and he ends up spending a week in solitary confinement known as the hole, which is like the most difficult kind of time you get. And uh, when he comes out, he comes to lunch for the first time with his mates, his fellow inmates, and uh, they are saying, oh, it must have been terrible, it must have been so tough, and he's actually said it was the easiest time I did. And so they're really confused by his positive outlook. And uh, what he essentially says is that the music nourished a part of him that the prison system and that oppressive system couldn't touch. And he says that it, it caused hope to rise up within him. And to this, his friend Red replies actually rather angrily. He says, hope, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. 
Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. So Red has been hardened by his time in prison and he's abandoned hope as a kind of coping mechanism. The second is a scene right at the end of the film. And this is a spoiler alert. I don't feel bad about giving spoilers because this movie is 25 years old. Um, but it's a spoiler alert and uh, Andy's escaped from prison and Red has finally got out on parole. And uh, Andy's actually hatched a plan to help Red come and be with him in Mexico where he's run away to. And he's buried uh, a note uh, giving him some clues where to go and some money to help Red travel to him. And in this note, he's, he writes this. He says, remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. So the movie speaks about the fact that Really, the wrongs have been righted, the difficulties have been worth it. And even in a dire situation, when you have hope, hope's actually a virtue, it's a good thing, and our situations can be turned around. And you've got to ask the question, why has this movie resonated so deeply with people? Why has, have people kind of latched onto it and it became a favorite, if not the favorite movie of all time? And I really think it's because it speaks to a part of us that longs for things in our life to be redeemed, a part of us that longs for wrongs to be righted, really uh, speaks to a part of us we're hopeless. And it speaks to the fact that we hope that our hope won't be disappointed, that our hope will be realized. And so I'm going to ask the question, what is hope and why does it resonate so deeply with the human heart? Uh, Some people have described hope as a psychological necessity. Uh, It's the ability of people to imagine a better future and really kind of see a path to it and then take action to get there. And it's this idea that uh, we can uh, have a sense of agency or determinism. We can determine the outcome of our life. And if you don't have hope, then you're not really going to take action. You just kind of accept what things are and tick through life uh, and kind of settle for less. If someone loses hope, they stop really dreaming and working for a better future. And when it comes to hope, there's only really three possibilities for us. The number one, uh, the first possibility uh, is kind of where people have hope and they kind of work to keep their hope alive and and keep it going. So maybe some things have worked out for them or they're sufficiently optimistic. They can kind of see a pathway to where they're going and they just believe that they've got the talents and abilities, they've got the opportunities and they reckon they can get there. They can make something with their lives. Maybe they suffer a setback and at first it knocks them, but then they go, you know what, I've learned so much from this. And they repackage that experience as a learning experience, believing that they're going to be better tomorrow and that now they have the ingredients to realize their hope, to realize their dreams. Um, And so they kind of just believe that despite circumstances and and sometimes even evidence for the contrary, that, that things are going to turn out. And so they're just hopeful, optimistic people. The second is a a group of people that kind of views hope as a danger. And this is actually the character read in Shawshank Redemption who says hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. This kind of person will say, oh, well, you're just young. You know, when I was your age, I used to have these dreams and I used to have these hopes. And one day you're going to grow up and see what the world's really like. Or maybe they'll say something like, well, if I had your opportunities or if I had your education or if I had your background or if I had... Uh, the things that you've got, then I'd hope like you too. Um, And so this is kind of like a cynical older person that's been burnt by life or maybe someone that's grown up in in quite a difficult environment, a school of hard knocks. And so they're a little bit more jaded and pessimistic and they see people who have hope as kind of naive and foolish. Um, Really the heart of this view is this line. It's like, don't get your expectations up. You won't be disappointed. 
And the truth is, is that there is some credibility to that. Proverbs 13, 12 says this. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when we have a hope and it's disappointed or it's delayed, it can result in heart sickness. It can result in cynicism and becoming bitter and jaded. Um, And so having hope is kind of a dangerous thing because having a hope that's disappointed is painful. Ask anyone that's uh, struggling to have a child right now or ask someone who got passed over for that job promotion or the person that didn't get the dream job that kind of had to settle for another job or, or a person that was in a relationship and they had hoped that it would end in marriage and it didn't get there or a marriage that ended and they'd hoped that they'd grow old together. Any one of these things are, are situations that naturally the human heart longs for. And when you suffer disappointment, it can be painful. And the crushed dream is almost as painful as the reality that we deal with. And so hope in that sense can be a bit of a dangerous thing. And so, yeah, you can insulate yourself against it by saying, you know, just don't get your hopes up. Don't get your expectations up. You won't be disappointed. It actually represents a view um, of a philosophy that was quite prevalent uh, in New Testament era during the, the time of the disciples and the apostles known as Stoicism. And the Stoics, uh, they didn't hold hope as a value. They almost thought that it was a bit of a childish or foolish thing. And they thought that the wise embraced the foolishness and the meaningless of life and stoically endured it just striving to be a better person. They believed that you shouldn't try to hope for the future, but rather eradicate hope. And so the Stoics They kind of thought that hope is the heroine of emotions. And the higher you lift it up, the deeper you're going to fall. And so sometimes Stokes would even tell you that bad things are going to happen to try and help you come to reality and come to grips with what life is. They defended against hot sickness by not hoping. The problem is is that the proverb, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but it doesn't end there. It then says, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So in not hoping for anything, They eliminate desire, and when they eliminate desire, they eliminate the chance of feeding off a tree of life, a source of life in their life. They never have the joy of dreaming for something and and it coming to pass, of having a goal and achieving it, of hoping to have a family and living in the joy of that reality. They never know what it's like to truly enjoy anything because they don't let themselves hope for anything in the first place. And so they may not feel the pain of disappointment, but they never know the joy of a desire fulfilled either. In that sense, life has become bland. So when Paul describes people's position apart from faith or before coming to Christ as this, it says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. He's actually describing um, quite accurately the position of a prevalent philosophy of his day, the Stoics. But here's the thing in that verse is Paul links hope with God. He says, without hope and without God. And so there's this different type of hope, a biblical hope, and that's what we're going to discuss now. And biblical hope is an altogether different thing than anything this world has to offer. It doesn't depend on our ability. It doesn't depend on our circumstances. It doesn't depend on natural laws or the precedents of yesterday. It depends solely on the character and the promises and the love of God. It's not not a cart blown around by the wind at the mercy of chance. Rather, biblical hope is described like this by the writer of the book of Hebrews. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope 
that lies before us. This hope is as strong and trustworthy. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. What a different picture from a cart flying, a, being blown around by the winds of chance to a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And the reason we can have that is because it has substance. It's not just an aspirational dream of what tomorrow is about. It's our hope has substance because our hope is backed by God. I've got a friend that has done business in Zimbabwe for the last 10 years. And they had their crash and they've had a few. But at one stage they had their crash and their currency was really eroded. And they brought in the US dollar as the, the trading currency of the nation. And people were happy to trade in U.S. dollars because it was backed by the U.S. government. But at another stage, what they said is, well, we're going to replace all your U.S. dollars, one for, one for Zim dollars, and reintroduce a Zimbabwean currency. And at that point, everyone's confidence was lost because now that Zim dollar was backed by the Zimbabwean government and they've got a rather poor track record. You see, when it comes to our hope, track record is everything. And God's track record is impeccable. He's the God of heaven and earth. And because he's the source of our hope, our hope has substance. And I want to tell you about one of the heroes of the Bible, Abraham, and the triumph of godly hope. Romans chapter 4 says this, Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Abraham is in a situation where there is no reason for hope. Maybe he was the young man. And he started out, and uh, he had the sense of hope for his future. Uh, he was hoping for a large family, like any other man in his era, because that was going to be his confidence uh, and his security for the year, future. But after years and years of not having children, uh, he, he could have turned out to be negative and pessimistic, and even a bitter old man. Yet he still hoped. He hoped even when his wife Sarah went through menopause. He hoped even when, from his perspective, his body was as good as dead. There was no good reason, no wise reason, no circumstantial reason to give him hope, and yet he kept hoping. Why? Because God had made him a promise, and a promise backed by God is worth hope. We're going to have an opportunity now to hear from Nats Nordea and uh, hear her story of hope and, and help her understand it, hope from a, 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 her own life and her own experience. Gary asked me to share on hope, um, on a time when hope was difficult in our lives. And um, there were a few that came to mind, but I decided to go with the first one. Um, we had just discovered that we were pregnant. We had been, I had certainly been so excited my whole life to be a mom. My gran uh, had had 10 kids and I was hoping to actually follow in her footsteps. But um, this was something I hadn't discussed with Sheldon before, so obviously um, I wasn't going to get my way on that. But um, here we were pregnant and incredibly excited. Um, I want to just let you into something, guys. Maybe you don't know this, but when a woman um, 
is given any time to imagine. Her mind goes far and fast. And um, an example is if you go and look at a house that you want to buy, typically by the time the woman gets home, she's redecorated it down to the finest detail. Um, and so it was with being pregnant with this child. Um, Within hours, I'd worked out the due date. I'd worked out how old the baby would be at our first Easter, our first Christmas, when my, first, when my brother came out from the UK. It just happens really fast. And we, we get quite, um, quite hung up even on, on some details. Our mind goes to details like imagining the little toes on her feet and um, the candles on the birthday cake um, down to the place settings at the wedding. Um, I know it sounds insane to you guys, but this is how we are. Um, I don't want to um, assume the position of saying how guys are in this time, but what I've observed is that men are really excited for the excitement in their wives up front, and then they get excited when they see that heartbeat for the first time, and they imagine the kind of big picture being a dad and the adventure of having kids. So it's quite different. And um, so in between the nausea and the vomiting and the exhaustion, I was just incredibly excited for this new chapter of our lives. And I had gone very far in my imagining and my hope of, of what it would be like to be a mom and this little one in our lives. So um, we went along for our first scheduled scan and received the very terrible news that the little, um, the baby had died. The heartbeat had stopped about two weeks before. And um, we had had no idea really that anything was wrong. Um, and so this whole new kind of world of fear was opened up to me that you could be pregnant and not know that anything was wrong. And um, it's a very personal thing, having a miscarriage. But to me, I can't say that I was mourning the loss of a child. I was mourning the loss of hope. Um, I was mourning everything that I had hoped for and expected. And I think when you think of a, a pregnant woman, you say she's expecting because there's so much that she's hoping will come. And so I was now grieving the loss of these memories that I had made, which hadn't even happened, if that even makes sense. Um, so it was a very unusual place to be. And I was terrified that there was something wrong with me that had caused this and that I wouldn't be able to have children. Um, and I just, I found myself in a really, really down space where I didn't know how I could have hope again in, in having children and in not being crippled with fear throughout the pregnancy. Um, so I think that there was, on the one hand, this dashed hope. On the other hand, there were new fears that I had never imagined before. And um, I just came across this meme the other day that I wanted to share. It says, so in retrospect, in 2015, not a single person got the answer to where do you see yourself five years from now? Um, Maybe the medical people did, but not many of us imagined to be where we are today. And I think that's what happened in a sense, is that um, everything that I'd thought was coming was just gone. And many of us right now are going through so many things that we thought would have rolled out by now or we're going to be rolling out that have gone. We have fears because of this virus and because of the economy that we hadn't yet faced. And it's really hard to find hope in this time. Um, so... In this season, I found myself um, hearing various voices that I suppose were trying to help me with hope. And on the one hand, there were the voices that were like, just toughen up, it's going to be okay, be strong, you'll, you'll fall pregnant again, just get healthy. And whilst these voices were not entirely wrong, um, they weren't completely helpful because all the kind of hope that they were offering was was tied up in my own effort and my own strengthening and toughening up. They're the kind of voices that right now you might be hearing, um, just put your CV everywhere or don't give up hope, just try harder, put yourself forward more. Um, it's, it's, 
it's meant to be helpful, but it, it doesn't really give you the kind of hope that you need. And then on the other hand, um, you know, Gary spoke about the voices that say don't hope. And um, this, this in many ways shaped a part of our story because of the age old so-called wisdom of saying, don't tell anyone you're pregnant until you're 12 weeks. We um, hadn't told anyone except our closest family. And so we found ourselves now in a place where we were mourning and dealing with this on our own because people hadn't shared in our joy and celebration, they couldn't share in our sorrow and grief. And so this kind of wisdom of don't tell anybody until you're 12 weeks, it comes from a place of fear and of, of not hoping so that you don't get disappointed. And it also um, didn't serve us. It's the kind of voice that will say, um, look, it's, it's, it's not a great prognosis and don't get your hopes up and um, don't imagine too far ahead or maybe this relationship isn't the one for you and don't don't um, put all your hopes in that. And again, there is a certain element of wisdom in it um, in not pinning our hopes on an outcome, but these voices don't serve us when we're looking for hope in these dark days. Um, and so I really felt myself nosediving. I wasn't finding a hope that was helping. I struggled to see anyone who was pregnant. I really battled at baby showers. If I saw baby clothes in the shop, I'd start crying. And I was kind of hopeless and crippled with fear for the future. So um, fortunately, I had a day where I just went, God, I, I, need, I need true hope. I really need to find hope that isn't um, a hope that I've got to manufacture and kind of muscle up for, and potentially it sounded exhausting, but um, I, I didn't, that didn't look like hope to me. And I didn't want a kind of second grade hope that would be like, well, I'm not going to get excited and I'm not going to hope for what God might have in sight. Um, I need a true hope. And so I sat down to do work with God and, and to find hope in him. And he led me to the story of Hannah, who herself had known that hope of not having a child. And it was these words that I had my moment of finding true hope. Um, where Hannah says this, she named, it says in, in the Bible, it says, she named him Samuel because I asked God for him. And, you know, in that moment, I felt my hope restored. And it wasn't so much because I felt that God was saying that we would have a child. I did feel that. But at the same time, it was, the hope was found in the fact that he heard Hannah and I knew that he heard me. And I knew that he was a close and loving God and that he had a perfect plan for my life and that he would use all things for good. And in that moment, it was his promises at Rushton that really gave me hope. Um, and it wasn't um, only that I really truly had a sense that I would have my Hannah moment and have a child. It was that I knew his love. I knew his gentle whisper. I knew that he heard me and I knew that he had the best plan. Um, and so we went on to have our first child and then our second child. Um, and then we had another mis miscarriage. That's what, what it's called when you don't actually know you've miscarried until you don't see a heartbeat. We had, we had another of those, very sadly. And then we had our Samuel. Um, and yeah, we, we're just, it's, it's been an incredible journey and an, an amazing story. But I just know that in these days where we could feel that we have to generate hope or we could feel not to have too much hope and we could miss out on what God has in store for us, that we need to find true hope. For some of us, there are unique and individual promises of hope, words that have been spoken or verses that are just stamped over our life that we can hope in. And for some of us, it is the more universal hope that Jesus has for us and it's in the person of who he is and in his love. 
But what I do know and what I want to encourage you today is that um, the promises that he has for us are, are worth hoping in. They will not disappoint. Thanks, Nats, uh, for sharing with us. Um, you see, the, one of the amazing things about hope, and it's really found in that text that we had looked at in Romans chapter 4, is that uh, it speaks about Abraham's faith. And so often we think that these two concepts, faith and hope, are almost interchangeable. They aren't. They're closely related, but they're actually different. We have faith in God. We have faith in God for what he said yesterday. We've got faith in God's promises that he made to us yesterday, but it results in hope for tomorrow. We look back at the promises of God in faith, and it causes us to look forward in future to our future and, and have a sense that our tomorrows are going to be better. We've got hope for our future. And so hope is the product of faith while we wait for promises to become a reality. Hope causes us to keep obeying God, to keep taking steps of faith, to keep, keep taking action in our current situation, believing that God's still going to bring about the fulfillment of his promise. You see, Abraham could have got a disillusioned after 25 years of waiting for God to come good on his promise. He could have said like something like, well, if God does it, that's fine, but I'm just going to carry on my life and get on with it because I can't keep hoping because it's just too painful. The thing about Abraham is that he kept holding on to the promises of God in faith and it caused hope to rise up in his heart. You see, faith is essential if we're going to persevere and faith always results in hope. Romans 8.24 actually says this, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. You see, in the Christian life, there are going to be these moments and there's going to be these journeys where God's made us a promise and we know the promises of God, but they haven't become a fulfillment in our life yet. And in that space, we've got to look back at God's promises, place our faith in them, and that will cause us to have hope for our tomorrow. God longs to be, uh, uh, be a God of a people of hope. He's the God of all hope. He's the God of all encouragement because our hope causes us to take action. The second thing about hope is not just that it's closely related to faith, but that it's closely related to love. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, and five, 3 to 5 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. What a strange thing to say we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, but here's the thing with our God, He actually uses them for our blessing. They help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. There, that word is again, it strengthens our hope in God, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. This hope isn't like the hope of the world where we get our hopes up that we're going to be in a certain place, that we're going to make some money or have a career. It's not that kind of hope. Our hope does not lead to disappointment. Why? For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And here's the thing is that hope is more than just hope. It's hope in a God that loves us. And we've got faith in his promises that he's made to us yesterday. And we know the love of God for us and it results in hope rising up in our heart. 
Knowing the love of God, that God loves us, that he's deeply affectionate towards us, strengthens our hope for tomorrow because God is able to work in any situation. And more than just being able, his love compels him to, just like his love compelled him to work in our hopeless situation when we were lost in our sins. His love compelled him to send his son to act. And because his love compels him to act on our behalf, our hope rises up within us. That is our God. And I want to read this, this verse for you, and I kind of want to read it over you in Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, God is the only true source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I really pray that you would overflow with confident hope because the God of all hope fills you uh, with hope and fills you with joy and peace. And Father, I just pray that your hope would rise up in people's hearts, that your hope would fill people, that your hope would meet people in the situation. God, I pray that they investigate your promises in your word, investigate your promises of provision, investigate your promises of being with them, of working the wrongs for right, of bringing healing and wholeness. And Father God, I pray that our hope would be in God alone because you are the source of all hope, the source of only the only true hope. We place our hope and our confidence in you. In Jesus' name.